chapter 3, sorry. Galatians chapter 3. It's great to gather in the teaching of God's Word, isn't it? It's a privilege, it's a joy. I'm going to read just the first five verses here of Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> o foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray one more time. Father, we trust you to speak to us through your word. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We would not know you would not know you, your love for us, apart from this world and apart from your word. Father, show us yourself, show us Jesus. This morning we pray, trust you in Jesus' name. So I'm not a huge fan of heights. I, I, I didn't realize this always in life. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't always that person that, you know, you go up to the, to the top of a roller coaster or, or, or whatever, and you look down and you feel like, this is scary. But about 12 years ago, I was on a trip to Colorado with a young man I had been, I had been mentoring, and we took a short trip uh, on, on a weekend. And we went to this place called Bishop's Castle, uh, which is this, this homemade, kind of handmade castle that's been pieced together through the years with scrap metal. It sounds really dodgy, right? It's, it's actually a castle that's been put together, welded, uh, just with scrap metal. And, and as we toured this castle, there's a tower, because castles have towers, right? And so we're going up to the tower, and we're walking up this handmade, dodgy stairwell, and you see like, the windows just keep getting higher and higher and higher, and I began to realize this was really stupid. Like, why am I suffering going up this tower, trusting that whoever welded this, I mean, if you, if you saw it, it, it isn't like a solid, like, like, like skyscraper kind of structure. It, it's, it's dodgy. And so I'm wondering, why, why am I doing this when right in the backyard of Bishop's Castle is a God-made 14,000-foot mountain that is sure to not fall? This castle is flimsy. God's mountains are solid granite. And so, you know, the castle would fall. It will fall one day. I, I guarantee it's going to fall one day. But the mountain... The mountain will stand firm. And so when we, when we read this text, when we read this text, it's the contrast that you see between the, the man-made and the God-made that you're supposed to feel. That's what Paul wants us to feel. The Galatians were believing false teachers, right? Uh, and what the false teachers were teaching was really, really dodgy. It was this man-made gospel. But what God makes is really, really solid, steady, and it endures. Uh, remember, Paul's writing to the church 
here in Galatia because they're straying from the one true gospel. They're believing these false teachers. They're believing that they had to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law to be a part of the family of God. Just like the Galatians right, are tempted to believe that their own actions actually do something to get them into the family of God, we can fall into that same trap. We are tempted to believe that same lie that somehow we can, we can work ourselves to God. I want you this morning to fully depend on Christ for your salvation. To know that the Spirit of God actually indwells you as a believer in Christ and that you can trust that the only, the only way that you will ever grow as a Christian is by faith and not by works. Do you ever believe that you are the one in control of your walk with Jesus? I'm tempted to believe that I'm in control of my walk with Jesus. I want to show you that through the Spirit and by faith, you can depend on the gospel to not only save you, but to grow you. So my first point is that you need Jesus every single day. Pretty simple point. You need Jesus every single day. Look at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul is extremely direct as he begins this section. Uh, he calls them foolish. It's like, you foolish Galatians. He's not insulting their intelligence. He's, he's judging their spiritual maturity. They are acting like spiritual idiots, is what they're doing. They are forgetting the basics of what they've believed. He calls them foolish, but why? Why would he do that? What is so foolish about what they're doing? Well, Paul goes on to ask multiple questions. That's all those verses are questions. He asks these questions because he wants to reveal their foolishness to them. These are questions that they should be able to answer. They're not really hard questions. So if the Galatians were reading this, when they read that, they should be like, oh yeah, they're, they're obvious questions. And yet they still need to be asked because he wants to expose their foolishness. The first question, who has bewitched you? That's what he asks them. What kind of spell are you under? Who has done this to you? Who's tricking you into seeing something that's not really there like some magician? Remember from chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says that he's astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's what he says. He's completely astonished. Paul means here that when he, when, when he talks about that Jesus is, is publicly portrayed as crucified in front of their very eyes, he's saying to them, they, they weren't there. They weren't at the crucifixion. But what Paul's saying is, I preached you a clear gospel. I told you exactly what the truth is. And he's been defending that from, from the beginning of chapter 1. He's def de been def defending his authority and the gospel's authority the entire time. He preached a Christ-only gospel. He walked them through all the details of the, of the one true, simple gospel of faith alone. A gospel of freedom, not bondage, of, of grace, not law, of faith, not works. A gospel that's actually good news. 
a good news gospel, because that's what that word means. And the Galatians, they're bewitched. They're bewitched into thinking that somehow they need some rule, some law. They have to follow something to get to God, to be in his family, to stay in the family of God. They needed something more. They needed to be circumcised. Paul has no framework or patience for this, because that bewitchment is no gospel at all, is what he's saying. So there's no pain. That's why he goes so directly and says, you are foolish. Foolish to think that. Why would you work for something that's free? Why would you labor for something that's already paid for? Why would you strive to make pies out of mud when the spread of the king's table is right before your eyes? That's foolishness. Paul's reminding them, them of the gospel in that simple sentence, before their eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified. One of the most horrific deaths you could possibly die on the cross. The very Son of God. God incarnate. God in the flesh. Mutilated. Broken. Bleeding. But that was not even just a physical death. First Peter, in chapter 2, Peter says that Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Can you imagine for a second? Just, just think about how vile your sin is. Your pride, your lust, your hate, your unbelief. Your anger, your, your sexual immorality, your selfishness, the, the deep-rooted self-righteousness, your stalwart hatred of God that says, I don't need God, I don't know God, I don't want God, I don't love God. Jesus absorbed the weight of that sin on the cross. Every horrible thought, every vile action, Every crude word that you have ever said, Jesus absorbs it on the cross, in his body. Every conceivable speck of unholiness is dealt with on the cross. He suffered and bled and died to rescue you from the pit of hell. The eternal God paying an eternal debt. The sinless one becoming sin. You, the vile one, me, the vile one, becoming righteous. This is the gospel that Paul says was portrayed in front of their very eyes. Now, imagine you start to act like you can add to the work of Christ. You, you can make his sacrifice a little bit more effective. You, you, can, you can make it a little bit more accessible. You can make yourself a little bit more acceptable. Do you, do you see why Paul said the Galatians are bewitched? It's foolishness. Think about what Christ did. He absorbed your sin on the cross. It is foolishness to think. To think that you could add anything to the work of Christ. The one being rescued doesn't tell the rescuer how to do it better. Imagine you're drowning at sea, right? So you're drowning at sea, you come up for your last breath in this icy water, and then you start sinking 
down into the depths. You are out of time. You are out of strength. And you end up inhaling this freezing, salty warmth. Your body just spasms and goes limp. You're powerless. You're unconscious. Your heart stops. You're dead. You're dead, sinking to the bottoms of an icy ocean. But then, suddenly, a heroic rescue diver comes in and grabs you from above, and, and he pulls you to the surface where you're both hoisted up into the rescue helicopter. And he's, he's doing CPR on you, and he's, he's beating on your chest to jolt your heart back into rhythm. And, and suddenly it works, and, and your heart is beating, and you cough, and you vomit, and you sputter up all this mess, and you, you're, you're conscious. You're alive again. And then you sit up, and you proceed to tell the diver all the amazing things you did to help with your rescue. You talk about how you fought those waves so bravely. You laugh. You laugh about how you tried to position your body in just the right way before, before your heart stopped so that he, he'd be able to, to grab you a little bit more easily. You, you can't stop talking about the amazing things that you did. You even talk about how strong your first heartbeat was that got blood pumping to your brain and brought you into consciousness because you were so helpful in your rescue. You're bewitched. You are foolish. You were dead. And you were rescued. There's nothing you can add to that. Now, which one of you is that foolish? Are you, are you that foolish? Are you in the back? Are you that foolish? Are you that foolish? We are all that foolish. We are all that foolish. We like to think, oh, I would never do something. I would never think that way. That's ridiculous. But even, even when we've been rescued, we are machines of legalism and self-righteousness. That's our flesh. We're machines that just love to spit out legalism and self-righteousness. We spit it out like this, like this drowned person spits out all this salty water. We want to look better and do better and act better than the person sitting next. We want control, don't we? Would Paul say to us, oh foolish passageans? When we come to Christ, we know we're vile sinners. We wouldn't come to Christ otherwise. We must depend on Jesus. We know that. Yet as time goes on, we slip into patterns of trusting the wrong thing. Look what Paul says right at the end of chapter 2. Shane preached this a few weeks ago. I did not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Adding any law or work to the gospel makes Christ's death purposeless. That's a pretty strong statement. The question you have to ask yourself is that is this. Is the death of the Lord Jesus enough, or is it not? Is his death enough, or is it not? The gospel says that it is, and anything else is a false 
gospel. Do you think you can add to the finished work of Christ? This church preaches that Christ is enough, and we need to tell each other every day that Jesus is enough. You can't say that too much. Because apparently, churches forget that. That's why this letter was written. We need gospel reminders all the time. We need to soak in the good news that we cannot merit anything from God. You can't merit anything from God. Christ is our merit, friends. He is our merit. He's our goodness. He's our value. Christ is our worth. Wake up in the morning and preach this to yourself. Text it to a friend in the day. But when, when we gather for midweek studies, share about the all-sufficiency of Jesus with each other. You need Jesus every single day. Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's been publicly portrayed as crucified right in front of you. That happens week after week after week. In this room, are we foolish to think otherwise? That somehow his death is not enough? Jesus is enough. And then, and then Paul goes on to say that his spirit is enough. The spirit of Jesus is enough. But look, look at verses 2 to 5 here. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? He asks a few more questions we'll get to. If circumcision doesn't help, how do the Galatians know that they belong to God? If it's not the mark of circumcision that says, oh, this, is, this, this person's belonging to God, then what is it? What evidence is there that the gospel has actually taken root in the lives of the Galatians? We probably should ask ourselves the same question. If, if we, if what we do doesn't save us, doesn't rescue us from our sins, how do we know we're saved? How do we know we've been rescued? If, if you can't point to your works, what evidence is there that you're in the family of God? If, if you don't need a physical mark like circumcision to belong to the family of God, what do you need? What's the mark? If, if going to church and praying or, or reading your Bible or helping others is not the mark of a true Christian, well, what's the mark? Paul continues to undo their bewitchment by asking these questions. And the next one I read, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Through these questions, he's making an argument. He wants, to, he wants to knock some sense into them because they're being foolish. Uh, and this argument that he's making is one from their experience. What has been their experience, the experience of the Galatians, of coming into the family of God? He wants them to remember, how did they become a Christian? How did they receive the Spirit? Was it works or was it faith? They know the answer is faith. I already said, the Galatians should know the answers to all these questions. The answer is faith. The Holy Spirit is the seal of the true believer. That's what Peyton was reading to us from Ephesians. 
He's the, the seal of the true believer. He's the guarantee. He's the guarantee of our inheritance, as Paul tells us in Ephesians. The moment God saves you, his spirit enters you and takes residence in you, indwelling you, is what Paul says to the Romans. He's our guarantee. What's a guarantee? When the, a guarantee is when the, when the person who gives you a product, right? So you think about you're buying something from the shop. And there's a guarantee attached to it. It's when the person that, that gives you the product assumes responsibility that it will be complete. It, the guarantee offers security that what was given will actually last. That's what a guarantee is. Jesus gives you life. He gives you life. And the guarantee we have of that life is his spirit living in us. The spirit assumes the responsibility to complete that life in us. The spirit offers security that the life given to us will actually last. That's what the spirit does. The spirit is the mark of a true Christian. The spirit alone is the mark of a true Christian. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. If you do have the Spirit of God, then you are a Christian. What does this mark look like then? It's not a physical mark, it's a spiritual mark. Well, well later on, later on in Galatians, they'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 6. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what the people of God look like through their life. So basically, the mark of the Spirit is manifested in a changed life. A changed life. The life and passions, desires, motivations, and love of a believer looks completely different from the world. It's not the same. Our whole world is turned upside down when we come to Jesus. We are not the same people that we were. It's not in an instant. We'll talk about that in a second. But we are changed. If you're young when you come to Christ, this is a little hard to see sometimes. It's a little hard to see because you haven't lived all that much life. Shane gave us a little glimpse a couple weeks ago. He was 15, he came to Christ, and he actually wanted to read his Bible. That's weird. <laughs> Why would you want to read your Bible? That's evidence that the Spirit is at work in your heart. Other evidence is, is when your sin bothers you. So you sin, and you realize, this is not okay. You might not always know what to do with it, but you realize, this is not okay. You, you also, if, if you're young and you come to Christ, one of the things you realize, you know that you have the Spirit, is that you want to obey. That doesn't mean that you perfectly obey, it just means you really want to obey. That's a desire that comes from the Spirit of God. Also, you don't want what the world wants. The world wants lots of things that it shouldn't want. But you don't want those things if you have the Spirit of God. And then you really start to enjoy hearing God's Word preached. This is not boring. I might be boring, but the Word of God's not boring. You realize that, and so it's like it's a hunger for it. Now, when you're older and you come to Christ, those things are true as well, but sometimes 
the Spirit's work in your life might be a little bit more obvious because you've, you've, you've lived more life. And you have more baggage. You have more history. So that often looks like you turning from your sin. So you end up cursing less. Not because you need to curse less to come to God, but because you've come to Christ. He loves you. You love him. And so you don't want to curse. Or you lust less. You, you, you stop sleeping around. You, you start looking forward to gathering on Sunday. You, you know that God loves you even through your mess. You don't doubt his love. You start to be more generous with your time and your money. You start to think about others more than yourself. And you give grace because you've received grace. Paul is reminding the Galatians that their journey as a Christian began by faith alone. They didn't have to clean up their lives, guys. They did not have to clean up their lives to come to Jesus. They did not have to act a certain way. They didn't have to be circumcised. Remember, that is what the false teachers were telling them. They didn't have to become circumcised to be a Christian. So the Galatians were living in a hugely inconsistent way from how they began their Christian life. And Paul continues to pick apart this spell, that's the analogy he's using, that's upon them. Galatians 3, 3, look at the verse. Are you so foolish? Yeah, ask it again. Have you begun, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You didn't do anything to receive the Spirit, he says. Do, do you think you can do anything to help the Spirit do his work? He's just asking these questions that they should know the answer to. At the end of chapter 2, Paul explains right, what justification by faith alone is. Remember that to be justified is to be not guilty. You're, you're declared righteous before God. Here, Paul starts to show the Galatians that not only is our justification by faith alone, but our sanctification is by faith alone. So yeah, another, another one of those big words. Sanctification. So you got justification, which just means um, not guilty, declared righteous. He doesn't use the word sanctification here, but he's talking about that. And sanctification just means to be set apart, specifically to be set apart for a holy purpose. Think about the words sanctuary, sanctum. Those are, those are words we use for places that are supposed to have holy purposes. Sanctification is being set apart for a holy purpose. It's the act of God setting us apart as his family. He, he makes us more like Jesus every day. That's what sanctification is. We have holy purposes as children of God. But I cannot sanctify myself. And you cannot sanctify yourself. You cannot set yourself apart for the holy purposes that God has for you. You cannot do that. By any work that you do, you cannot set yourself apart. Look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Can we make ourselves holy? Are the miracles that you see in your heart and the hearts of others your own doing or their doing? Is that what they've done? Do you really work super hard to be more patient, more kind, and more loving? 
Is working hard at that actually work? No. Are we so foolish? For instance, say that I'm, if I were to start running a marathon, which I'm not going to do, I don't have the knees for that. But if I were to start running a marathon, I would want the lightest shoes and the least and lightest clothing possible, right? That's what a marathon runner looks like. You look at them, like, you know, they're, they don't have much clothes on. They start to run the race a certain way. Free from the things that hinder them. They trust that that is the only way to run the race, right? Now, what if after I ran 13 of those 26 long miles, I decide to hoist on my back Jeddah or Nick? And I'm just trying to run around with, I mean, think about how ridiculous that would be. I'm running around with these big men on my back. How ridiculous. It'd be exhausting. It'd be impossible. It'd be crushing. Literally, it'd be crushing to carry around these big men on my back. It'd be foolish to run a race that way. Why would I hinder myself on purpose? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, your race was run for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even have to run it. He carried you across the finish line. His victory is your victory. The, the foolish work, the foolish people, they work unnecessarily for something that already has been achieved. The faithful believe that Jesus has finished the work. And that's gotten me over the finish line. And then in this life, he will continue to carry me over the finish line until I meet him face to face. The Galatians, you see, were reversing the gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's not good news. Merit or goodness get you nowhere. We are sanctified by faith alone. So, okay, so when you sin, and you will, what do you do? What do you do with your sin? Maybe those are sins of commission, like Shane was talking about the other week. Commission, like you're committing something, like anger or pornography, or discontentment, or, or greed, or pride, or your disobedience to your parents. Those are all sins that we commit. Maybe they're sins of omission, like you're not loving your neighbor like you know you should. You're not leading your children like you know you should. You're not serving in the church like you know you should. Whatever the sin is, here's what you don't do. You don't just see your sin Read your Bible and pray more to make up for your sin. That's not how sanctification works. That is trying hard to merit something. Oh, I've done wrong. I need to do more good to make up for it. I got to tip the scales. That's not sanctification. That's foolishness. The answer to sin is always the cross. That is always the answer to your sin. How do you get to the cross? You repent. You turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus. You acknowledge it. You believe the gospel again that Jesus loves sinners. He's justified you. He's declared you righteous. He's, he's sanctifying you. He's setting you apart for his holy purposes. And then you just receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Then, then, in faith, because of the deep love Jesus has for you, you read your Bible. Knowing that by faith, the word of God is powerful and will shape you. 
right? Then you pray, believing in faith that God hears you and will answer those prayers. You come to church knowing that by faith, God's people sharpen one another, and I need to hear the word preached, and I receive it by faith, not as some work that's giving me another tick box or another weight on the scale of, of belonging to God's family. I can love others selflessly knowing that through faith, I don't need their approval. You can do this all through the Spirit by faith. Not to merit God's favor, but because you're loved. You are loved. First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Don't make God a liar. <laughs> Your sin is real and deep and dark. Paul asked the question in verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain? Walking with Jesus is walking a life of suffering. That's what the Christian life is. If you are not truly a Christian and trying to fake your faith, you're suffering in vain. What's the point? Following Jesus is pointless if you don't really believe. Why would you do that? Maybe that's you today. You've just tried and tried to work your way to God. You've deprived yourself of things because that's how I get to know God better. You've had many sleepless nights wondering if you've done enough to please God. Your, your doubts might be eating you alive. You just keep trying harder and harder and harder. All of that is in vain if you don't give up working your way to God. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will justify you and he will sanctify you. The Spirit does these both by faith. The cross is enough. The Spirit is enough. The gospel's enough. So stop laboring on your own and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Brother and sister, you need no other mark than the Spirit of God in your life. And he is received by faith alone. This is the experience of the Galatians, and it's the experience of all believers throughout history. The same Spirit who transformed them will transform you and give you new life every day all the way until you leave this earth or Jesus returns, and we enter eternity. He does this through faith, not words. And that is why Paul is being so direct to the Galatians and calling them fools, because they know that's not true, yet they're slipping back into it. Do we know that's not true, and are we slipping back into it? Believe the gospel. Trust in the gospel. Do good works by faith. We have good works that are prepared beforehand for us to walk in, but we don't do them to merit anything. We do them because we love God, because he's loved us. That's the reason why we would walk in good works. 
Don't be fooled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus has won the race. That we don't have to, we don't have to do anything. We just have to trust and believe that he is enough and that by your spirit, you are making us more like him every day. Forgive us, God. Forgive us when we, we try to add something. It's foolishness, God. Forgive our foolishness. Help us to just cling to the gospel. When we sin, help us to come to Christ afresh and new and realize that he will cleanse us from the unrighteousness. Help us to point each other to these truths all the time. Because we're so quick, God. We're so quick. Slip back into self-righteousness. Help us to be a church that's constantly gospeling one another. Because we need it every day. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.